Welcome to the Steady On Podcast, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. I don't need to tell you that life gets hard. Life gets hard, really hard. But God's faithfulness is still active and alive in our hard. And these episodes are dedicated to remembering and claiming the promises of a faithful God. I'm your host, Angie Bauman. I'm a pastor and Bible teacher, founder of Steady On Ministries, and creator of the Step-by-Step Bible Study Method. But more than that, I'm a trauma and abuse survivor who carried a heavy weight of shame and worthlessness for many years, and I still struggle, but I live in much more freedom now because I know God through His Word and speak truth to the lies of the enemy with His Word. And that's what we do here. On Mondays, we take it in by studying the promises of God, and on Wednesdays, we live it out with teaching and testimony on the promises of God. So thank you for tuning in, my friend. You are the reason for this show. And I'm so very, very glad you are here. Let's get started. Welcome. Today, we're going to take it in with Judges 614 using my step-by-step Bible study method. And you will find links to a study sheet as well as videos for the step-by-step masterclass in today's show notes if you'd like to learn more. Judges 614 in the NIRV says this, The Lord turned to Gideon. He said to him, You are strong. Go and save Israel from the power of Midian. I am sending you. And we're actually going to focus in, zoom in on the first part of Judges 6.14, which says, the Lord turned to Gideon. He said to him, you are strong. So let's talk about the book of Judges. The time frame for Judges is the period between Joshua's conquest of Cana and the monarchy of Saul and David. So after the Israelites were free from Egypt, they had leaders, right? Moses was their leader as they were freed from Egypt. Then Joshua was their leader after Moses died. And then there was a series of judges. Samuel is often called the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. After Samuel's leadership, um, we moved to kings. Saul was the first king and then David. And during the time of the kings, there are prophets that are raised up who begin to call people back into obedience and away from idolatry. So this time frame is after Moses and Joshua have died and the leadership of Israel is this series of judges. It is a collection of hero stories that emphasize the weakness of Israel's leaders and God's patient compassion. Each story is set within a framework involving five steps commonly referred to as the judges cycles of sin, repentance, and salvation. So here are the steps and all the stories in judges are kind of like they follow this cadence, if you will. Step one, Israel does evil and worships other gods. Step two, God becomes angry about their idolatry and hands Israel over to an enemy nation. Step three, Israel cries for help. Step four, God raises up judges who deliver Israel from the enemy. And then step five, Israel returns again to foreign gods. So there's this this cycle of, I call turn away, turn towards, right? We we turn away from God. And can we not see this in our own life so much? We turn away from God when we feel like we can be doing it in our own strength. We find other things to worship. I know that's hard to pick up, but we do. We put other things in priority positions over our relationship with God. And then over a period of time and a few circumstances that happen, we find ourselves in some kind of captivity, 
right? Um, An enemy nation is pressing in. We find ourselves in some kind of captivity and we cry out to God. We're like, oh yes, we need you. We cry out to God and God in his love and compassion and in his mercy shows us the way out. And then we are like closer to him for a little while. And then before too long, (laughs) life presses in and all of a sudden we're not paying as much attention to our God connection and our God relationship as we were before. It is a cycle of sin. Um, Thank goodness for God's mercy. But we see it so clearly played out in these stories in the book of Judges. So the date of the writing of the book is somewhere around 1050 to 1020 B.C., And there's no specific author mentioned inside the book, but the book is most frequently credited to Samuel. Samuel is credited with writing Judges, Ruth, and 1st and 2nd Samuel. Often, anyway, he is. Chapter 6, where we're hanging out today, has 40 verses. It is the call of Gideon. And we are going to be in the part of the chapter where the deliverer is called and Gideon's call to God's service. So one more time, the part of the verse that we're going to be hanging out in with today is Judges 6, 14a, the Lord turned to Gideon. He said to him, you are strong. Now, because we're in the middle of a story, I just want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on and line it up with that earlier framework, you know, that one, two, three, four, five that we were just talking about. So Israel has done evil in the sight of the Lord. They have been delivered into the hands of an enemy nation, which is, in this case, Midian. Midian is impoverishing the Israelites. They come in, they destroy their produce, they leave the land desolate. The Bible compares them to locusts just coming in and taking everything. And Israel is crying out to the Lord, and God is raising up a judge. In this story, the judge is Gideon. And here we're witnessing God calling Gideon to rise up. Now, it's important to remember that Gideon does not see himself as strong. The Bible verse says, the Lord turned to Gideon. He said to him, you are strong. But Gideon doesn't see himself that way. And Gideon's going to be pushing back on this calling, saying, my clan, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh is the tribe his family belongs to. And I, Gideon, am am the least in my family. And so it's a story of God calling an unlikely, and unlikely, that's not easy to say, or at least calling an individual who did not feel qualified for the call. Anybody listening? God is in the business of, God is in the habit of calling people to his service and declaring people are strong who do not see themselves that way. One more time, the Bible verse says, the Lord turned to Gideon. He said to him, you are strong. Step one in the Bible study method is to choose our word, and our word today is, you may have guessed it, strong. There are lots of definitions of the word strong. I've pulled out a few that I think are the most applicable to what we're doing right here. The first one is capable of producing or withstanding great physical force, having a lot of power, or determined or passionate when when it comes to one's interests or endeavors. Similar words to strong are things like might, great, stout, secure, stable, reliable, celebrated, distinguished, prominent. These are things Gideon did not identify with, right? If someone's saying, hey, it's not me you want. I'm the least. My family is the least. 
This is a bad idea. He does not see himself as mighty and great and secure and prominent and distinguished and celebrated for sure. Some of the opposites, things Gideon very much did identify with, are things like weak, feeble, small, vulnerable, fragile, or unstable. And I put down, this is my own opposite, I put down unsteady because that's what we're doing here, right? Because these are things I feel unsteady in the calling that God has on my life when I'm thinking about my own abilities. When I take my eyes off of the fact that God can do anything he wants to do through anyone he wants to do it. Like I Why do I forget that all the time? I've been doing this, walking with the Lord and even being in ministry with him for a long time now. And over and over again, I get to feeling weak and unstable and unsteady because when he calls me to do something or when he invites me to do something, when he opens a door for me to do something, the first thing I think about is my own abilities, resources, skills, gift, and I see how they don't add up. I see how they don't match with the calling, and that's very much what Gideon is doing here. Step two in the method is to investigate. We divide that up into four parts. Part one is to compare this word in other translations. The King James said, go in thy might, so referring to the strength as might. The ERV says, use your great power, and the ISV said, determination use your determination. And if we're feeling small and weak and insignificant, determined is not something that we, it's not a word, right, that we would use to describe ourselves in that situation. Part two is to research the original word. The Hebrew word is koach. It means to be firm. It means vigor, which I looked up like I knew what it meant, but then I didn't know what it meant. So vigor means active strength or force of body or mind, a capacity for exertion physically, intellectually, or morally. I thought that was interesting. So we think about strength and often I think we go to physical strength first, but it's not just physical strength that God gives us, right? He gives us intellectual strength, Like we can figure things out. We're smarter than we think we are, right? Because, not because of us, because of God. And also moral strength, which I think is interesting because sometimes we're asked to take a stand, right? Sometimes we're asked to say the thing and it's hard to do that, but we can have a moral strength that comes from an infusion of God in us. The Hebrew word also means force in a good or bad sense and strength in toil. So sometimes it's about like people can seem strong or be strong in moments of trial, in moments of crisis. Sometimes you look at someone or you realize someone did something and you're thinking, I don't know how they did that, or I didn't know that was in there. Well, we can be that. We can be a person who in a situation that seems like it's too much for us can demonstrate this extreme steadiness and moral vigor and might and power that comes from a place deep inside us that isn't us, but it's God in us. I like to think about this, all of this put together as someone who's not easily knocked down. Like, that's what I want to be. I want to be someone who isn't easily knocked down. Like, life can throw a lot of things at us, and sometimes those things are difficult. Sometimes they wound us. They're hard. 
I'm not denying any of that. But this is a place, right, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. And sometimes the hard truth, the good hard truth is that when God is in us and when he has called us to do something, life can throw a lot of things at us, but it cannot knock us down because there's another in the fire, right? Like, I love that song so much. There's another in the fire. We don't do this on our own. And because we are glued to, stuck to something much, much stronger than us, that means that we are not easily knocked down. Part three in the investigate step is to read some commentary. And I have this wonderful thing from the enduring word that I want to share with you. It says, it is hard to see that Gideon had any might to go in. Yet the angel of the Lord didn't mock Gideon when he told him, go in this might of yours, or you are strong in our version. Gideon indeed had might, but not as we might normally think of might or strength. And then it goes on to list some of the things we learn if we read the whole chapter. It says, Gideon had the might of the humble threshing wheat on the winepress floor. That's where the angel finds him. Gideon had the might of the caring because he cared about the low place of Israel. It mattered to him that they were in distress. Gideon had the might of knowledge because he knew God did great things in the past. Gideon had the might of the spiritually hungry because he wanted to see God do great works again. Gideon had the might of the teachable because he listened to what the angel of the Lord said. And Gideon had the might of the weak and God's strength is perfected in weakness. So here are some of the things I want to just kind of rattle down through those again. Here are some of the things that make us strong in moments that tempt us to feel weak. Are we humble? Are we caring? Are we knowledgeable about God? Are we spiritually hungry to see God at work? Are we teachable? And are we weak in a way that forces us, invites us, calls us to put our faith and to trust in God's power in our weakness? Because these are the things that make us strong. It's not really how much we know about what we're facing. It's about how much we know about God. I think about David in 1 Samuel 17 when he faces Goliath. And what does he say? He says, my God will do this. He talks about his God, right? Not about himself or how he will get out of it. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, I think it's Daniel 4. I always forget if it's Daniel 3 or 4. I think it's 4 when they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they don't talk about how they're going to withstand the heat. They talk about what God is going to do. And when we are faced with a situation that causes us to feel weak, insignificant, underqualified, unqualified, um, are we talking about to ourselves or to others? Are we talking about what we can do? Or are we talking about what God can do in any circumstance? Daniel Block says about this verse, like the other deliverers in the book, Gideon's authority and power are charismatically bestowed by God. Gideon's specific charge is to deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. The commissioning formula, surely I have sent you, presents Gideon with the authority, all the authority that he will need for the task. Because God says, because the angel says, I am sending you, that means you are authorized to go and equipped to go. 
This fearful and cynical farmer is hereby informed that God has indeed heard the people's cry of pain, and he has personally chosen him, Gideon, to solve the problem. Like, you're the one I'm sending, right? In Isaiah 6, it says, the Lord asks in Isaiah's presence, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. What is our response when God calls us to do something? I have heard the cry of someone and I am sending you to help them. And I don't ever like to say that God needs us to do something. I don't I don't aspire or believe in that sentiment because God does his work in ways that we don't know. <laughs> it makes me emotional. God doesn't need us to do something, but God uses us to to bless people. He uses us to relieve suffering. He uses us to point people back to his transformational power, transformative power, right? Like he may not need us to do it, but he calls us to partner with him in doing it. And so it's for them and it's for us. And when he calls us to do something, it means he knows that we can do it when we trust in him. He promises to go with us. He promises not to leave us nor forsake us. And when he calls us to something, he can be trusted to keep those promises. Arthur Kundal and Leon Morris wrote a commentary. There's one more thing here that I want to share with you about this because I think it's so good. It is when a man or I added, or a woman, is fully conscious of our own weakness and the difficulties of the situation that the Lord can take and use us. The one who relies upon our own innate strength is not likely to, one, drop on the Lord's grace, or two, give the Lord glory for anything that is achieved. It is also equally true that the Lord saw not only the man that was, Gideon, as weak, but the man that could be. Gideon as strong and resolute and courageous. So I think about that in my own life and think about how the Lord looks down upon me and sees not the Angie that I see, not the one who still struggles to overcome childhood abuse and trauma and to the one who continually has to remind herself not to use shame as her go-to response or the first emotion she feels, not to believe the lie of the enemy that you'll never belong anywhere, not that Angie that sometimes just seems to be so stuck in her own weaknesses, but instead he looks down and sees an Angie that if she will trust him, if and when she puts her faith in him, because there have been things in my life that it was not Angie that did, amen, that it was God that did when I stepped out and said, I will trust you in this and the things that he has done in my life. And I give him all the credit and glory for that. He looks down and says, this is a child that loves me. And when she puts her trust in me, she is what this commentator says, strong, resolute, and courageous. She is a woman who is not easily knocked down. When she stands in her own strength and she tries to do things in her ability, she is feeble and weak and wobbly. But when she remembers to call upon me, to trust my faithfulness, to watch for my provision, to receive my protection, when she is able to, when she remembers to, when she is confident enough to speak 
my promises to the lies the enemy puts in her head, right? When she is that Angie, she is strong and resolute and courageous and not easily knocked down. And you put your name in there today. You put your name in there and you feel free to say, these are the problems. These are my limitations. This is how my family is the weakest in this tribe and I'm the weakest in my family. This is how strong Midian is in my life. This is what I'm up against. And I recognize my limitations and I see my weaknesses, but you put your name in there and say, but when I put my faith in the Lord, when I am confident in his promises, when I trust him to be faithful, then I, and put your name in there as well, am strong and resolute and courageous and dare I say, steady. Part four of the investigate step is to rewrite this verse in our own words. So one more time, the verse says, the Lord turned to Gideon and he said to him, you are strong. And I rewrote it this way. The Lord looks upon the one he calls and says to her, Angie, you are not small and weak like you see yourself to be. You are capable, steady, and strong. Step three in the method is to find the characteristics of God. I wrote down a couple of different things, several things, actually. I wrote that God is patient. He's patient with my objections, that I'm not what he's looking for. I wrote that he is a God of no favoritism, that least of, right? I'm the least of my family and my family's the least of this tribe. Least of isn't a character quality he considers. It doesn't matter how we see ourselves. It doesn't matter how we describe ourselves. It doesn't matter how the world sees or describes us. Listen to the song Nobody by Casting Crowns. I love that song so much. That's not what God is considering as he's calling his people to serve. I wrote down that God is faithful, that he knows he's calling me to something I don't think I can do, and that he is right. I can trust his evaluation of my abilities when I place my trust in him. Step four in the method is to identify the lie. This one is not hard at all. I actually wrote down in parentheses, the enemy laughs. Like I can hear this just taunting, critical, hateful tone and the enemy laughing saying, you? There's no way you can't be hearing him correctly. You are going to fail and look ridiculous. It's so harsh. It's so harsh, but I think it is so freeing to call it out because in those moments when we know God is calling us to something, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's you sitting with a friend over coffee and she's opening up to you and you reach her hand reach for her hand and say, would you like me to pray? Praying for someone when they you know, haven't asked for it can be one of the scariest things we do. I don't know for sure why. It, well, actually, I do know why that is because there's so much power in it. That's why. And so the enemy very quickly says, you're going to look ridiculous. Don't do that. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to reach for her hand and say, I would like to pray for you, that is a call to ministry. That is the angel of the Lord appearing to Gideon on the wine press floor, the threshing floor, right? Saying, you are strong. I'm calling you to do this. Or maybe today you're wrestling with the fact that God is asking you to say yes to a ministry at your church or to go and visit with 
your pastor or women's ministry leader or something like that and say, hey, I have this idea. Or maybe it's to start a blog or a podcast. Maybe it's something like that. The angel of the Lord is saying, you are strong and I will walk with you. And the enemy is lying to you. He is laughing. He is trying to make you feel like you will fail and look ridiculous, but you will never look ridiculous when you are standing strong in the calling of your Lord. Step five is called So What, where we just jot down a takeaway, and there have been a multitude of those in this episode for me, Um, but I wrote down, here's what it boils down to. Do I trust in me or do I trust in him? When I trust in me, I will be weak. When I trust in him, I will be strong. I'd love to hear your takeaway. You can email me anytime at steadyonpodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't yet, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe to the podcast on whatever directory you use to listen. It only takes a second. It helps the show a great deal. And I will just say thank you in advance for doing so. And if someone came to mind as you were listening today, I would love it if you would share this episode with them. Maybe you have a friend that's really feeling weak in a calling right now, or maybe you have a friend that you know is trying to evaluate something and how she can do it in her own strength. And she knows to look to God, but maybe she could use this encouragement. If you share this with her and invite her into what we're doing here, that also is just a really great way to support the show. I encourage you to tune in on Wednesday for a fantastic episode with Rachel Barbeau. Rachel is a retired national sportscaster who now shares her journey of drug addiction and mental health issues with athletes to encourage them to take care of their own mental health needs and to remind them that their identity is not in their athletic career, but it is in Jesus Christ. Rachel's sharing will be our Live It Out on Judges 6.14. Thank you so much for listening. I pray wherever your day takes you, you are walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.